podcasters know, this episode of Where to Begin with Jallo will feature heavy spoilers of the movie Short Night of Glass Dolls from 1971. If you've never seen the movie before, or you're looking forward to taking part in this series by submitting in a review of this movie, please pause the show and check out the movie first. However, if you've seen the movie before, then you can continue by listening on. Don't say you weren't warned. It is not sufficient proof when you say the girl was wearing nothing when she left. And yet I've known it to happen that someone suddenly decides to move out. They leave, there's no warning, and no argument. Let me say this to you. They'd better because I'll write a story and blast every last one of you for murder. Why did you say murder? that beats me is how the hell you could care for someone like her. You know that both you and the girl took drugs. Lucky. She's not in a morgue with a broken neck. <laughs> Who did it? Do you know him? They don't fly. They don't let them fly. And welcome to a brand new episode of Where to Begin With, in season one, looking at Giallo. This show is primarily designed to give you a starting point and a through line to, in a lot of respects, exercise your cinematic muscles and at the same time round out those skills required to call yourself a bit of a cinephile in some of the lesser trodden areas of genre cinema. 
Now, the first season we've been looking specifically at Jallo, and I've explained through those episodes kind of the tropes, the almost the checklist, the tick box exercise that you have to go through in order to establish whether a movie is or is not a Jallo. And there are purists out there that will lean in heavily and say, you know what? This doesn't meet the criteria, so by default, this movie is not a Jallo. I'm not one of those purists, if I'm honest. I believe that there is caveats, there are hidden tunnels into the genre itself, and you don't necessarily have to have the Black Glove Killer, the Open Blade Razor, and the Bottle of JMB in the background to necessarily denote a Jallo. And... What is interesting is a movie like the one we're going to discuss on this episode, Short Night of Glass Dolls, has all the intrigue and mystery of a giallo, but doesn't necessarily always get coveted in that role, specifically for the fact that it lacks some of the bigger aspects that most would consider as an entry point into the genre. Now, the director, Aldo Lado, has done Jallos um, and has really... He's a, he's a very interesting director. He's got a kind of unique visual style that I think is kind of awesome. And as a director himself, kind of found his way into doing movies like a lot of the, the established, better directors of the time did through working at the hands of established directors building up their portfolio of work doing various different jobs and then ultimately doing that kind of transition into directing movies themselves. Uh, Lardo has a very very interesting career and one that is almost littered with really really clever um, and at times pure exploitation rip-off versions of more kind of established American movies. I'm thinking about like Night Train Murders, for example, which is basically a kind of Italian rip-off take on Last House on the Left. But with Short Night of Glass Dolls, what I think he does is deliver a movie which has a great deal of intrigue, is at times quite a tense little movie, and of all the giallos that you're ever likely to see, the ending to this movie is particularly nasty and special. Um, it's the sort of thing where you are on a, a journey and you have a strong feeling that the day is going to be saved right at the end and Laldo doesn't actually do that. If anything, Laldo kind of holds back and gives you an almost an inverse of what the audience has as an expectation. An ending which... I know some people are not keen on, but myself, I really find it quite phenomenal. Through the movie, he uses a kind of careful lens to not only deliver the, you know, the idea of fashion and culture and, you know, on some level, even jet setting that would be associated specifically with the Italian cinema of the time. Um, and their cultural importance as being this hub of couture, um, but at the same time is weirdly kind of taking pot shots at, you know, the social unrest of the country and at times the political unrest as well. There's a great deal of classism in here, almost a level of kind of secret society um, controlling all the rich being almighty and powerful and controlling those 
below him. The story itself, as and this one is one of these ones where you really need to have listened to that spoiler alert at the beginning. I really don't want you getting this movie spoiled for you. Uh, but the movie itself follows a reporter, uh, Gregory Moore, played by Jean Sorel, who, I mean, this guy was a who's who of Italian cinema in the 60s and 70s. Uh, very much the leading man. In a lot of respects, when I say that, I think people think I mean through acting style. I think he's a competent actor. I don't think he's an incredible actor, but he has the very look of a leading man. This is the sort of guy that could have been an Italian James Bond if he wanted. Very suave, very debonair, um, piercing blue eyes. I mean, his eyes are like very captivating when you see him on the screen. But his body has been brought into the local morgue and they are about to perform an autopsy in front of um, essentially a live uh, kind of pool or auditorium of interested parties and essentially what the, the mortician and the physicians don't know is he's actually still alive but he has been poisoned and the poison that is rushing through his veins has incapacitated him and gives him the appearance of being dead. He is essentially trying to kind of walk through the events that have led him to where he is now and that's where the mystery aspect is. The movie is shot as a series of kind of flashbacks through his involvement and his mystery of trying to find out what happened to his girlfriend, played by Barbara Bach. Now, Barbara Bach, at the time, um, well, even by today's standard, Barbara Bach is most most known for being a Bond girl um, and being married to uh, Ringo Starr, drummer for the Beatles. Uh, She was in The Spy Who Loved Me. Did a bit here and there in acting. I wouldn't necessarily say she is an incredibly prominent actress if you know what I mean but she's excellent in this and I really like her performance but you know she didn't do um what was that Anya Amosova I think is her name she didn't do that role until much later on and because of like how her career had started she was mostly doing kind of giallo movies before, so uh, Shot Night of Glass Dolls, she's in Black uh, Black Belly of the Tarantula, um, and other various kind of Italian productions before, you know, ultimately having that that performance. And you know what? There's a thing about Bond girls live on for eternity. Um, really are. There are people out there that know exactly what the Bond film is from the Bond girl. And she's great in you know, kind of delivering that aspect in here. The other probably big name and kind of powerhouse of performance is Ingrid Thulin, who in this movie um, plays a really interesting weaving sort of character and you're never quite sure where her allegiance lies. Um, she's an incredible actress and had worked on many different projects with the, the phenomenal... Um, director Ingmar Bergman who, I mean, if you've ever seen a Bergman movie, well, if anyone's a fan of Ari Aster just now, then you are a fan by proxy of Bergman. I would almost say the same about something along the lines of 
Robert Eggers is another kind of modern director who takes a lot from Bergman. Um, he's become a very prominent influence in a lot of directors over the years, but she worked on a few projects with him, so you, she's a deft hand. That, that guy was really good at picking his cast and crew. Kind of rounding out the, the notable things for the movie, um, I mean, we have to talk about the cinematography. Uh, Giuseppe Russolini, who, once again, an incredible filmography, working with the kind of who's who of directors. Um, probably more more kind of known for little bits and bobs that he did with Stephen King, uh, specifically on his project Firestarter, or even Sergio Leone's Duck You Sucker. Um, incredible eye, and there is a, a beauty to the cinematography in Short Night of Glass Dolls. You add on top of that the fact that Ennio Morricone does the score as well, and you are kind of spoiled in this movie. Where it may struggle to land with some people specifically on this one is the fact that, like I said before, the we abandon in a lot of respects, the generic formula, so the, the kind of bare-bones template formula of the Jallo. This isn't a, you know, a tourist who gets dragged into an investigation. This is a reporter, and we are living back through the events. So instead of the reveal at the end of the movie being what the, the witness has forgotten, in the case of this one, what you're doing is kind of basically reliving all the events up until the point where... He is drugged and ends up where he is. Also, there's the kind of the race against time aspect, which is not always... The race against time in most giallos is to, to stop someone else from dying. In the case of this one, it's to stop uh, Sorel's character himself being, you know, um, autopsied <laughs> in front of in front of people. Um, so there's that, there's that level as well. So you're kind of playing a, a race against time. doesn't have the, the same degree of jet setting that a lot of them have. Like I say, the Black Glove Killer isn't here. Uh, there isn't a huge deal of death in this one as well. So the kind of murder mystery aspect is kind of ramped back to a, you know, our character might die if he can't signal to someone that he's alive. Um, and we need to find out who it was that put him here. The idea as well of it being like a single kind of killer is also not really in this one as it's more a kind of movement of people uh, in powerful places trying to set things up. I think where the movie definitely kind of captures my imagination for this one and why I accept it is all the other concentric parts are here. Specifically, you have a, a great cast of... A giallo actors and actresses involved with the project. You have a, a you know an incredible score from Morricone. You have um, incredible cinematography by a established name who worked in giallo cinema. You have a director who would go on and do giallo movies, and it is a mystery at its core. This is the sort of thing I imagine I would have read in a yellow pulpy novel from back in the day, which makes me then think if that's the qualifier, if that's one of the main qualifiers, then surely it's a giallo. Um, the ending moves against what you would usually get in a giallo, although not too dissimilar in terms of the kind of shock landing to some of the the maybe lesser lesser kind of horror related or horrific ones. More of the mystery line where you actually get a in a lot of respects when we did um, Lizard and the Women's Skin, that idea of you get to the end and you think you might just be getting away with something and you don't. There's an aspect to that here, but inverted. 
And it is such a very bold, fucking dark, cold ending. And the movie just leaves you on it, which I think works very well in its favour. I think Short Night of the Glass Dolls is a movie which is now gaining a bit of prominence. Uh, and Aldo Lado as well, I think, is gaining a bit more of influence because labels are now releasing his movies in, in great quality. And I think the fact that they're being restored in a fashion that they are and people can see the quality of them speaks more to his ability and the ability of those he worked with at the time to make sure that these movies looked incredible and as such the transfers you now get in 2K are, are pretty phenomenal. But on top of that, I think he's just a great storyteller. Even if you're watching something like uh, The Night Train Murders, which is he, you know, for all intents and purposes, a very sleazy, grim, very unpleasant movie, it is so beautifully shot and the story is so beautifully told that that's where uh, Lado's specific sort of strengths lie. He's not doing the exploitation and, uh, you know, on some levels the the graphic over-the-top sort of shock value cinema that, you know, people like Umberto Lenzi would do within the genre, or to an extent someone like even Sergio Martino by the time he reaches a movie like Torso is going for. There's something more nuanced and deliberate about this movie. Now, if this is a movie you do not consider to be a Jalo movie, that is fine. I know plenty of people that don't, and I've read many articles and books that say this movie isn't, but to me it is. There's enough qualifiers in here. I always go back to that. Could I imagine picking this up as a crime novel back in the day? Uh, yes, I could. Um, and this would have been one of those books that would have shot me by the time I got to the end of it. And the movie does a lot of the same things. So that is your homework ladies and gents, is to go out, check out Short Night Glass Dolls, submit your review in, and I look forward to hearing all about it. But, uh, before I give you the details of when your time frame is and all the rest to get that in, we have some business to get to. On last month's episode, I asked you to go and check out The House With Laughing Windows and submit a review in to let me know what you made of it. Of course, as always, you have spoiled me uh, dear listeners, by sending in your reviews. We have two audio reviews for you this episode. One from our good buddy David Garrett Jr. and one from Kate Pollock continuing their journey along with me through the Giallo. So let's get to it. First up, we are going to check out what David Garrett Jr. had to say about the house with laving windows. Hello, Duncan and T-Puts Collective listeners. David Garrett Jr. here back again for... Where to begin with Giallo, the next film here being The House with Laughing Windows. This again, Duncan, is another one that I had not seen before, but I had heard about it. Now, this one, I'm not going to lie, I didn't know where this was going when we get these op- this opening scene here. We have this fuzzy focus where we have a man who's being stabbed to death. Now, we also see that his arms are chained above his head and he cannot really see who he is or who the people that are around him are. We do learn later on that this is Borneo Lagani, who is a famous painter in this area, and he has been known to capture agony of his subjects. Now, over his attack, we get one of the creepiest parts of this movie for me, and that's his screams and odd ramblings of just these things that he's saying about the paint and it being in his veins and being like syphilis. But then the movie gives us Stefano, who is our hero here, And it's him coming over on a ferry to this 
I'm not really sure if this is an island or just has to come over this body of water to get there. But also on this boat is a lovely woman by the name of Francesca. Now, what I really like about this movie, though, is that he has been commissioned to clean up a mural inside of the church. He gets sucked into learning about the past and the history of the painter who made it. And I think this is kind of a cool thing to play with here. And we also, as the movie goes on, we get this creepy vibe of this small town village where we see that they don't necessarily investigate things fully. And every time that Stefano goes to reach out to them, the evidence that he has seen is no longer there. So you really get that feel that they cover up after their own. And I almost think it's weird that he's staying at a boarding house and gets put out because there's some sort of tourist attraction nearby that they need his room. So he ends up shacking up with a guy who works at the church by the name of Ledio. And the weird thing there is that he lives with his mother who is a paraplegic, or at least we think that she is. And we keep getting glimpses that there's somebody upstairs that is, you know, looking out of the shutters and things like that. So this movie has a very surreal vibe and it almost gives off that it's supernatural, but I actually like that the movie turns out to be grounded. Now, this is a mystery that had me on board and this is a different type of giallo film than I think that we've been kind of delving into here. Now, as I said, there is a supernatural feel, even though there really isn't anything supernatural going on here. We also have a bit of religion with what happens in the church and with the priest. But it's not really one of those ones that really questions religion in general, except the fact that they have this weird mural on the wall that they consider to be like a martyr, which is actually Lagani painting himself while the two women in it are actually his sisters. And it's almost like a, at least I took it this to be as a prophecy of what is going to happen to him. And we never get like the bumbling cops who can't figure everything out. So really the only investigation is what Stefano is doing. I will say that I did get a little bit confused early on to this movie because I feel like it just moves very rapidly through things. But I will say that they do a pretty good job at giving you enough backstory and enough information that I finally end up settling in. I do think that the acting here, nobody really stands out is I guess what I'm trying to say. Guy who plays Stefano I think is really good. His inquisitive nature really kind of leads us to where we end up. I do think that Francesca is quite attractive, but to be honest, she really doesn't add a whole lot to the movie, as I don't think they ever really flesh out her character, and she really is more as a distraction and helps to drive us to the events of the climax. But I also do like that how the title of the movie ends up playing back into it. Because once they reveal when he walks around to the other side of the building and we see the lips painted on the shutters, I was kind of blown away and just like, whoa, what is going on here? So that's kind of a cool thing there. We don't get really a lot in the way of effects in this movie, and there's not that many deaths. I mean, it's more than some of the other ones, like a woman in lizard skin. But I will say that I think the effects that we do get are actually really good. Seeing the stabbings where I think they do some strategic moves with the cinematography to zoom in on it, and then, you know, cut away from it pretty quickly. So you don't have enough time to critique it, but you can see that it's done practically and it looks real enough for me. The blood is a little bit bright, but I will admit I do love movies from the 70s where I do have a soft spot for that. Outside of that, I think the soundtrack doesn't necessarily stand out too much. I think it fits for what is needed and definitely one of those, you know, solid little giallo scores that you would get in a movie like this. I would say, that, to reiterate, it's the creepiness is the recording that they play of Lagani of, I mean, it almost sounds like the time he's dying, but I'm not necessarily sure if that's what they had recorded or not. I'm a little bit fuzzy on that. And I do like how they will use a fuzzy focus as well when we're kind of getting events that, 
either did happen in the past or mirroring events that happened in the past. So I will say though, Duncan, I ended up really liking this. Glad that you selected it so I could finally, you know, take it off my list. And I came in with a four out of five on the T-Put scale. I'm also pretty excited to check out Short Night of Glass Dolls as it's another one that I've never seen before, but I've heard you talk highly of it and it's one that I added on my list because of that. So pretty excited to be able to check that one off this my list. But thank you so much for doing these and hosting all these shows and everything that you do. David Garrett Jr. signing off. And thanks very much to David Garrett Jr. for checking out that movie and submitting a review. And always good to hear from you, my friend. Very much looking forward to what you make of Short Night of Glass Dolls. Stick around to the end of the episode and I'll tell you what your deadline date is. And I look forward to that review. Right, let's swing to our second review. This one came in from Kate Pollock. Hi Duncan, hi everybody, I hope everyone's alright, it's Kate Pollock here with my review of The House of the Laughing Windows. So um, this was yet another first watch for me, Um, and similar to when I was watching The Pajama Girl case, that didn't entirely scream jello to me at first, Um, there's no black glove killer, there's no bright colours in its cinematography, there's no sort of, you know, heavy sex or nudity, Um, and even its plot is more reminiscent of um, a folk horror to me than Jallo. Um, but what you do have is you have an outsider coming in. Um, there's a murder that he feel, feels compelled to investigate because the police won't. In this case, they feel it's a suicide. Um, and although the body count isn't huge, um, a lot of the murder it, you know, that we see on screen um, is done with stabbing. Um, and any time, and there's a lot of blood, and any time um, you know, we have this, we have the victims and the killers wearing white. So the, uh, the blood does sort of stand out quite bold against that um which is very jello as well um there's one bit of close-up of blood where it's all gooey and thick and ooh, and it's yeah great um and then at its center there is just a big old mystery behind it all um so there's definite um definite tropes of jello in there it's just not wearing it on its sleeve as say some other titles um so there's a lot that I really liked about this movie. I want to talk about firstly the opening credits. They immediately sucked me in. Um, they were quite unlike anything else I'd seen. Very dreamlike. You have this voice over the top, um, this recorded voice, which we find out is actually our main antagonist, Lignani, um, this artist. Um, and he is talking about his colours and there's someone dying in front of him, man. And it's all kind of a bit dark and a bit twisted. And he seems to be kind of having some sort of sexual gratification from it. There's a lot of heavy breathing. His um, pace of speech sort of builds up to this crescendo. So that is just quite unnerving to listen to, especially when you have like this score sort of running underneath, um, you know, these off-kilter piano tones um and yeah as i say everything's sort of like in a dream because you can't really see what you're looking at first um it's quite difficult to cipher because there's this whole kind of overall sepia filter which is kind of out of focus lots of close-ups of skin and things but then what you sort of realize quickly after is that it's actually um a, a man being stabbed to death he's hung by his wrists um and yeah he's being stabbed repeatedly and on top of all of that soundscape you have him screaming in agony so yeah really powerful probably hooked me in um yeah really liked that a lot um just cuz i mentioned it i'm going to talk about the um the score the score is just wonderful in fact i'm going to go as far as to say that 
it's probably my favourite score out of all of the Jalo movies we've we've watched so far as part of this season. Um, it's just beautiful. The piano is chilling. Um, it really does an excellent job of creating this sinister tension. There's organs being used, which is quite apt because you know of the stuff with the church later on. Um, and they're used usually when there's a lot of violence on screen. It just really helps to emphasise that. And there's just this kind of like distortion um, that really kind of just conveys the disorientation of Stefano, our lead. Um, and, you know, us as we're kind of piecing everything together along with him. Um, and, and yeah, just just this kind of overall sense of going deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole. Um, so, yeah, score is... a big big tick for me um some of the characters i've mentioned stefano so some of the char- other characters that we have so stefano is as i say he's our main guy um he's an artist he's been hired to restore this painting in a church in this little village um but yeah so some of the um characters here's this uh, love interest called francesca she is so sweet and so lovely despite her questionable taste in underwear um but she's um no she's really endearing as a character and um you know when her when she dies later on it's really quite sad and just again to mention that score um big part of that emotion with that scene is down to the score um but yeah you really do feel that um yeah she's lovely um the person who did that is a really great character called Lydia I think it was him anyway my subtitles were not the best I don't think but what I got from it is that he kills her um he also rapes her beforehand it's really just unpleasant viewing um you don't really see it it's all off kind of off screen but you do see him initially attack her and it's just not very pleasant to watch because he's just got this kind of slightly manic demeanor um and even before he really kind of reaches his violent um, climax um he's just very unsettling on edge character um and like the topics of conversation he brings up things like how best to cook rats and things like that is just yeah it's just really bizarre um so he's a really interesting character and and fair play to the actor he did a really good job um but yeah so shortly after we find out that francesca's um been killed at his hands um he actually dies as well um he gets killed by lignani's sisters um and who we find out are not dead um because we kind of suspect that they might be but turns out no um but yeah so and his his um you know murder is really brutal and things also um and what we find out is that lignani um is this what he's he's called the painter of agonies because he paints death um but what we find out is that actually his sisters um go and murder people for him and that's what he paints um so that's really quite cool um and what i find really interesting about lignani is that um all the way through like he's dead um or presumed dead anyway because he's been um set on fire um they've never retrieved his body but he was engulfed in flames so you would you know assume that he's dead um and so although he's not this real kind of tangible character um that we interact with or anything like that apart from the occasional kind of odd flashback um he's very much a presence throughout this whole thing um so i just thought that was a really interesting take and then lastly we have this really great character my personal fave capolo um and what we kind of get a clear sense on quite early on is that 
something isn't right with this village and as we progress we sort of feel like they maybe know a bit more than they're letting on and then by the end it's confirmed yes they actually do know everything that's happening and they just turned a blind eye to it and I think Pola is really interesting because he's the town um, sort of drunk and cab driver Um, but I think the reason why he drinks is because he's quite angry and probably feels quite guilty about the town's secrets Um, but this is kind of ironically his downfall because he ends up losing all credibility when he tries to come clean um you know tell Stefano and and who then goes to the police and the police just immediately have reason to discredit him um and even when he dies you know he's obviously murdered but they pass his death death off as an accident blaming his drink and they're really quite callous towards him it's really quite um awful and um you know I think he's a character with a lot of layers he's not like a massive character he's kind of a side character but I think there's a lot about him which I just find yeah really interesting and there's this really great scene in a restaurant where he like really loses his shit um and he's totally outrageous and I just I think it's great (laughs) so yeah um one big thing that is always like key for me is cinematography and this film has it in spades um absolutely beautiful there is this just frequent backdrop of landscape gorgeous Italian fields and marshlands and you know they almost become a character of its own of it of their own um and it really just denotes like the isolation of the village and how Stefano is quite alone out there Um, and again that's a kind of a folk horror thing but it really works Um, and sort of there's this really gorgeous sort of scenes which are covered in this kind of sepia filter but it's done really nicely it's not in a rubbish Instagram account kind of way um and um it really just kind of conveys the time and ruralness of the village and um has this kind of overall gothic kind of autumnal cozy feel to it um which I just find so appealing and and stuff so yeah there's also um a few point of view shots it's a bit of shaky cam which I think works really well for building tension it's quite a slow burner at times this movie um so these moments are really important especially for kind of creating um sort of a, a sense of mystery um and it's something i think that we do see in jello quite a bit as well so that's another box ticked um but with it you do get this sense of uh, this kind of claustrophobic sense of being watched all the time and by the end we know that that's exactly what's happening the town is watching stefano um and it, that kind of continues all the way through all the way through in fact to the end credits where um sk- sort of skip to the end but stefano is being murdered presumably um inside this church and we have this exterior shot of the church and there's this tree to the side of the shot and you know it's not nothing sort of like draws your attention to it necessarily um you know it's not made into anything but just really subtly this hand places itself on the tree trunk as though someone is just stood there spectating the brutality that's happening inside the church which I just found so chilling and it's so subtle but it's just really really effective um uh, sort of use of, of camera work and things and and that's just a real strength of this movie the set pieces as well are absolutely stunning um, you've got these high walls and ceilings um, everything has this slightly worn and crumbling effect but you know once again it works and it just kind of creates this sort of mystery um, kind of vibe um, the house itself the house with the laughing windows my god that is so creepy you have these like joker smiles plastered over the the window panels and things it's like something out of a clown serial killer funhouse thing just oh no 
just no you couldn't pay me to go into that place and you know it's bad they tell you it's bad but even if you didn't have that information you would know that that is not somewhere that you really want to be so yeah fair play set designers well done you that was that was done very well um and so yeah and so basically the main thing thing left now is is that ending um wow that ending um so just to give a bit of context we have just gone through an absolute roller coaster of reveals we've had francesca's death we've had lydio's brutal murder happen in front of us we've realized that the sisters are in fact alive they are keeping their brother um the his skeleton in formaldehyde to stop decay um his eyes are poking out of his skeleton um his skull it, it's so great um they're also having some sort of weird necrophiliac incestuous sexual thing i don't know how that works don't want to know um and on top of that we've been um watching this well not watching but we've been sort of introduced to this old elderly woman who's bedridden she's paraplegic and she owns the house that stefano stays in but turns out no no she's absolutely fine and a fucking psychopath because she is one of the sisters Oh my gosh, didn't see that coming. I actually thought that she might have been Lignani himself, like the old woman might have been Lignani himself, because there's this bit where um, we see this portrait that he's done of his face, um, but with a, a nude female body. And I thought that was quite an interesting thing. And I thought there might be something to do with gender fluidity there. Um, and I thought maybe that after he'd been burned, he'd been sort of kept up in this house um, because Lydio sort of looks after this woman um, and I thought it was all kind of in with the church and all of that kind of thing and I thought maybe that's why she had no hair and you know she's all elderly and wrinkled and I thought maybe it was to do with that um but no she is actually one of the sisters um but the gender fluidity thing will come back into just a sec um so yeah so we've got so we've got all of that happening and Stefano um, is stabbed, but he escapes and he's running through the town and he's banging on doors and he's asking for help and no one's helping him. So we have that confirmation that, yes, indeed, the town is in on it, but it's OK because he goes to the church and the priest sets him in and it's going to be fine. And he's going to be safe. But I don't know why we think this, because, of course, it's the priest. It's the priest every time. <laughs> um, and, you know, even if that wasn't a jallo thing, you know, it's the priest because everyone's involved. Um, but I would... I would defy anyone, anyone be able to see what happens next, like be able to predict that because not a chance. I didn't, I don't know anyone who could. What we find out is that the priest is actually one of the sisters posing as a man. Oh my God. And this reveal is the literal reveal of a boob brilliant love that tactic um but no this reveal is really creepy aside from the boob bit you have him her suddenly um having this kind of deeper voice changing this really high pitched old crone kind of voice so unnerving and this cackle like again it's a crone's cackle and it basically it just doesn't stop until the end credits kind of come up um and it's just the whole thing is just so Ooh, so chilling um and what's even worse what's even more tragic is that we realize that stefano's he's not getting out he's not leaving um you know and this is just going to continue on these murders are going to continue on as though you know um 
it, nothing's happened kind of thing and it's just this really bleak ending but I love it um and I think I I prefer that than if, if Stefano had got out um so one more thing real quick um is to do with the painting itself so the painting is apparently of Mar- the martyrdom of Saint Sebastian now I don't know really a lot about renaissance art um I won't pretend to so um what I did is I I had a quick look into it because I was quite interested and turns out it's normally depicted um you have all these different sort of representations of it and normally it's depicted with um saint sebastian being shot with arrows by men not stabbed by women um and the actual story of it is how it goes is that he has survived this intended martyrdom and he gets taken in by this woman and all healed up she she looks after him and then he goes on his way but then he actually does get killed shortly afterwards and then there's another woman who has a vision of him um instructing her to retrieve his body which has been dumped in the sewers and to bury him properly which she does um so to me it's kind of funny how in the story it's two women who essentially save him whereas the picture that we're shown in the film is um of two women killing him it turns out it's the sisters and yeah that portrayal of you know in the painting is is creepy as well um i also think it's an interesting parallel sorry to how lignani's sisters um sort of explain at the end that he still speaks to them beyond the grave and gives them instructions to kill all these people to continue on his art and things um it's just a really kind of great way of mirroring what happened to saint sebastian just in a darker more twisted way um and i'm sure that that was intentional i'm sure that that was very much um a thing as part of the film but I just didn't know about all that stuff so I just thought it was really interesting when I looked into that um so yeah so some things that I didn't like about it it's not a lot honestly um but I just I found that aside from the characters that I've mentioned like the key characters I've mentioned um I found that the rest of them including Stefano unfortunately just a little bit dull um a little bit one-sided I also didn't really like Stefano's sort of um his sort of misogyny um and his sort of you know judgmental kind of attitudes and i know the misogyny and everything is a little bit of a giallo thing i know that that and that's fine but i think because where this movie isn't set against the normal kind of tropes and backdrops of giallo it just stuck out stuck out sorry more to me um so i just picked up on it a lot more and it just kind of yeah it didn't sit right with me so i didn't really like that that much and i also found in the middle the pacing to be off a little bit at times usually when stefano's talking to the woman upstairs or Francesca or he's working on the painting but honestly I think actually that might change upon rewatches because now that I know what I know um, those scenes probably will hold a little bit more weight but that's just how I, I am right now um, aside from that though I really enjoyed it and I'm, I'm very happy to give it a firm four out of five um, so yeah so thanks very much Duncan for bringing yet another title that probably would have gone, gone completely under my radar otherwise and um, as usual I'm always interested to hear what other people have to say and hopefully you've liked my review and yeah thanks very much bye and thanks very much to kate pollock for submitting in your review thanks for both kate and david sending in the reviews of the house with laughing windows right let's get down to business um we are moving back into a more normal schedule now that podcast under the stairs has finished its summer series which means that the shows will be coming out pretty much on time 
which makes me very happy because this channel has sadly been neglected a little bit. Hopefully next year I will have worked out my timing a little bit better. Now, because of that, I'm probably going to push these shows to come out towards the end of the month to give you suitable time to track down the movie, check it out and get your reviews in. So if you want to take part in the next episode by submitting in your reviews of Short Night of Glass Dolls, it could not be any easier, ladies and gents. Get them into me no later than Friday the 23rd of October. The episode will come out the following week. So Friday 23rd of October, that gives you about three weeks to track down the movie, check it out, get your review in and let me know what you made of Short Night of Glass Dolls. That movie was from 1971 in the UK. It was put out by 88 Films. I believe in the States, maybe Blue Underground has the rights to that as well. So you should be able to track it down. I believe there used to be a copy on YouTube. Not that I advocate for such things. But if you're struggling, let me know and I should be able to help you out. So yeah, Friday 23rd of October for Short Night of Glass Dolls. And that is the movie we'll be covering then. In terms of the movie that I will be reviewing on the next episode, episode number eight, it's time to turn up the pressure. And there ain't no way you can do a list called Where to Begin with Jallo without hitting out with the movie that changes the landscape once again. It is the return of Dario Argento to the Jallo formula after a short stint trying something else that didn't work. The rejection, the ultimate negative reviews critically would spell him back into the genre that made his name and he would return with Profondo Rosso aka Deep Red. That movie from 1975 will be the movie that we're covering in one month's time so Profondo Rosso finally making its way to where to begin with Jallo. But until that episode drops, ladies and gents, please take care of yourselves out there and remember this... In that Jallo movie, anyone could be the killer. Even you. This is Duncan from Where to Begin with Jallo, and I'll speak to you next month.